Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 7. Who is Melchizedek? It could be you've never heard a message on Melchizedek before, and I hope by the end of this message you'll know who he is. But I was thinking if I interviewed probably every preacher in Lexington, every pastor of a church, Central Kentucky, and if I asked them what is the significance of Melchizedek, they would say, well, he's in the Bible, but uh, what his significance is, I do not know. Well, he is very significant, and I think this is uh, mysterious. It's amazing. Uh, Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, one time, when he blesses Abraham, when he's returning from the slaughter of the kings, and Abraham pays him tithes. Abraham knew who he was. He wouldn't have paid him tithes if he didn't know who he was. And he's not mentioned again for another 900 years. David, in Psalm 110, and I like to think of David probably uh, reading Genesis 14. I guess it wasn't 14 then, but it was a scroll. And he was reading about Melchizedek, and he was thinking about that, and the Lord revealed to him the significance of this man, Melchizedek. And that is when David said, I know with a thrilled heart, in Psalm 110, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He saw the superiority of the priesthood of Melchizedek over the Levitical priesthood. And then Melchizedek is not mentioned in any of the Gospels, in any of the writers of the New Testament, except right here in the book of Hebrews by the unnamed author of the book of Hebrews. He speaks of Melchizedek. And look what he says in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 7. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood. Now this is what I have to be in order to be accepted by God. I have to have perfection. Absolute perfection. It shall be perfect to be accepted. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, that's talking about the priests established in the book of Exodus, beginning with Aaron, the sons of Levi, who would offer up the sacrifices, the great high priests and so on. If perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Now, actually, this priesthood came 500 years before the Aaronic priesthood. This has been around since then. Now, turn with me to Genesis 14. We'll come back to Hebrews chapter 7, but let's read the account in Genesis 14. 
Now, I uh, practiced on uh, pronouncing the names of these kings in uh, chapter 14. I read the passage out loud and tried to get them down, and I messed them all up, and I thought I'm not even going to try it. But there's a bunch of kings mentioned. In the first three verses, there were four kings who went to battle against five kings. And verse 4 says 12 years, and this is the main king, 12 years they served Chedorlaomer, and the 13th year they rebelled. Now this is kind of a microcosm of human history. You have some kings putting uh, people under burdens, heavy tax burdens. They had more power than they did, and they thought, well, I'm going to get everything I can out of them. And these people dealt with this for years and years and years, being overtaxed, being burdened by these people who had more power than them, these kingdoms, and all of a sudden they rebelled. They said, hey, we're not going to take this anymore. And there was a rebellion, and these five kings went to battle against these four kings. And uh, Cheddar Loamar won. Now look in verse 9. With Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, with Tidal, king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elzer, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the king, kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there with these four kings chasing them. And they that remained fled to the mountain, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. They took everything they had. Now, here's when things start going south for Chetta Lorimer, who thought he was a great victor, carrying away the spoils, and they took Lot. And there's where his problem begins. They took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Now, I think it's interesting he had no idea after he'd won this big victory and that he was taking the spoils home with him, and now he had Lot and all of Lot's family. He didn't know he'd signed his own death warrant. Look in verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abraham. Abram. These men joined with him. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. He was going to go rescue Lot and Lot's family and all the people of Sodom that they'd carried away with 318 people. Now, 318 trained servants, and there's always a significance to any number in the Scripture. I don't claim to be an expert in any way on this, but I read about it in 318, 318. The triune God in one person. Three, one. Eight, from what I've read, is the number of newness of life. Eight people were on the ark. They started a new life, didn't they? When were you circumcised, which represents the new life God gives you, the new birth. When were you circumcised? On the eighth day. There are many examples of how eight represents newness of life. And I guess that's what uh, this represents. Abraham 
coming in by the power of God and delivering these people, and there's newness of life. Now let's go on reading. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them into Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. You know, this is called the slaughter of the kings in the New Testament. He annihilated everybody in delivering Lot. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. He delivered all of these people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Cheddar Laomer. Here it's called the slaughter. I mean, he destroyed all of these people in delivering Lot. And of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is in the king's dale, he slaughtered all of them. And then this almost seems um, out of place. And Melchizedek. Here's his first mention. And Melchizedek. King of Salem brought forth bread and wine. And he, notice was, is in italics, he, the priest, of the Most High God. Now, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, you know, King of Salem, he says, first, he's king of righteousness. After that, he's king of peace. First, righteousness, the king of righteousness. Now, who is the king of righteousness? What man could have that title? Can you imagine somebody saying, there's Todd, king of righteousness? wince how offensive how wrong there's only one man that title fits the lord jesus christ king of righteousness as far as that goes there's only one other man that was both a king and priest he's the priest of the most high god and he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace who's the only other man that was both a king and a priest the lord jesus christ anytime a king in the old testament tried to take uh, the office of a priest and sort of offering sacrifices, what did God do? He killed them. There's only one who is king priest and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and I love the way this, the writer to the Hebrew says, he's first king of righteousness. After that, he's king of peace. Now the only way I'm going to have peace, real peace, the peace of God is if I am perfectly righteous without any sin sinless, perfect before God. And only when I have perfect righteousness do I have peace. If there's anything left out of that perfect righteousness, I don't have any peace. I think somehow it's not going to farewell for me. But oh, if I'm perfectly righteous, having the righteousness of Jesus Christ as my personal righteousness, I have peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem is the early name of Jerusalem, and it means peace. Brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, since when does a priest bring bread and wine? What's a priest bring? A blood sacrifice of an animal. This priest brings bread and wine. 
And I have no doubt that this priest is the Lord Jesus Christ, and this prefigures the Lord's table, bread and wine. He's the only priest that could bring bread and wine. You see, his work is finished. He accomplished salvation. And he didn't bring the blood of a slain beast because the blood's already been shed from the foundation of the world and accomplished. Now, he would have to come in time uh, several thousand years later to die as the Lamb of God, but he comes to Abraham as the priest with the sacrifice already accomplished. And he brings bread and wine as the priest of the Most High God. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, you'll remember in the Hebrews account, it says without any contradiction, there's no controversy about this, the less is always blessed by the better. You can be a blessing to me, and you are a blessing to me, but you can't bless me. You know, when people say, I've, I've heard people say to me on many, not, several times, bless you. I'm thinking, oh, you can do that? I don't want to be facetious. I know they mean well, but there's only one who blesses. The less me is blessed at the better. I can be a blessing to you. I hope I am, but I can't bless you. But this man blesses Melchizedek. The priest, and I love it the way he's called the priest of the Most High God. Oh, he is the Most High God. You can't even give words that are suitable for his highness, his glory, his majesty. He's the priest of the Most High God. He's the eternal priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, Possessor of heaven and earth. I love the way he's called the possessor of the heaven and earth. You see, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I love the way the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what that means? It's all his. You know, you're breathing his air right now. You're in his world. It belongs to him. He's the possessor of the heaven and the earth. Blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. Now, why did and how did Abraham get this amazing military victory with only 318 people against all these kings, all these armies? Because the Lord delivered. That's his only reason for victory. And he knew that. He understood that. And he gave him tithes of all. Abraham knew who he was. And as the priest, he gave him tithes of all that spoil. Now somebody's thinking, does that mean the scripture teaches tithing? Giving 10% of your income. Is that how much we should give? Well, maybe I'll give more. Maybe I'll give more. But it's not teaching tithing. 
It's just not. If tithing was taught in the New Testament, it would be taught in the New Testament. Give 10% of your income. But the scripture says to, to give as the Lord has blessed you, as a man has purposed in his heart. So let him give. There's no law. Tithing is law. It's, it's a law of the Old Testament. You can give everything you got. You can give a nickel. It doesn't make, You give. And this thing of tithing, somebody says, well, is that teaching tithing? No, it's just teaching about how great Melchizedek is. He is so great, he is so infinitely glorious that Abraham, the patriarch, paid tithes to him because he knew who he was. He, oh, the, the astonishment he had at the greatness of this man. And I, I'm sure he fearfully gave him these tithes knowing that everything he had belonged to him. It's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Now I'm sure the king of Sodom was very thankful. Maybe it was his wife that came back and his children. And Abraham brought all these people back and he was mighty glad. He was glad to see him. He was thankful. He said to Abraham, Just give me the people and you take all the spoils for yourself. I don't want any of it. You can have it all. I'm just thankful to have my family back. And look at Abram's response. You know, it almost appears rude. <laughs> and Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I won't take from you a thread, even to a shoe latchet. <laughs> I won't take anything that's yours. Lest thou should say, I've made Abraham rich. Now you think about this. This man says, you keep all the spoils, and it seems like a, a generous thing to do. Abraham said, I'm not going to take a thing from you. I'm not even going to take a thread from you. I don't want you saying, I made Abraham rich. There's one person who is my salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was, he was making an issue of this. I don't want flesh to get any credit, any glory. And that's the way a believer is. I don't want flesh to get any credit in my salvation because I know who did it. I know full well who did it. He did it all. And I'm not going to take a thread of, to a shoe latchet of credit for anything. And I'm not going to let you do it, he says, to the uh, king of Sodom. I love thinking, well, I've lift up my hand to the Lord God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I'm completely dependent upon him. I am what I am by the grace of God. He made me to differ. Now he says in verse 24, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. What he's saying, these fellows that aren't my family to help me out, let them have what spoils they want. I'm just representing my family right now. I don't want anything from you. Now we don't hear about this man for another 900 years. That's the only time he's mentioned. And we don't hear of him only one more time in the Old Testament for another 900 years. Now, turn to Psalm 110. Now, David is writing this uh, psalm, Psalm 110, some 900 years after 
this took place. And it hadn't been mentioned anywhere in the scriptures. Uh, maybe David was out, maybe he was a shepherd then. I don't know when he wrote this. Maybe he's out watching the sheep, throwing rocks, sitting around, reading the scriptures. I don't know. Here he is reading the scriptures, and he comes across Melchizedek, and he says, King of Salem. And the Lord revealed to him what this means. If you and I learn anything, it's because God opened our understanding. That's how David learned this. You remember how the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scripture unto us, by the way? Well, that's what was going on. David was reading Genesis 14. And look, let's read this psalm together. Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, God the Father said unto my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. That's his eternal unchangeableness. Now listen to this. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, eternally, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the order of Melchizedek was way before Aaron, was way before the Levites. This is the priest forever, eternally, that never stops after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7. Now up to this point, this is all the information we have with regard to Melchizedek in all the Bible. And the writer of the Hebrews had brought him up a couple of times and uh, went in another direction for a couple of reasons, but now he spends this seventh chapter speaking of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Four, verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Now there's only one other who's king and priest. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand this. I, my goal in this message is not simply to get you to see that Melchizedek is Jesus Christ, although I believe he is. But my goal in this is for me and you to understand the superiority of the priesthood of Christ, the priesthood of Melchizedek over the Levitical priesthood that could never save anybody. This priest saves. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now there's not a more important verse of scripture than this. Here's what comes first. Here's what's most important. He's the king of righteousness. And all of his salvation is an absolute righteous, just salvation. And he makes everybody he saves perfectly righteous. You have the very 
righteousness of Jesus Christ as your personal righteousness. I don't know of anything that makes me happier than that. His righteousness is my righteousness. Now after that, peace. Peace. Now, if he's not all my righteousness, you know how much peace I have? None. But if he's all my righteousness, peace. Where does peace come from? Having him as your righteousness. And you may not even feel it, but he's at peace with you. I mean, it's nice to feel it. I love the feeling of peace. But even if I don't feel it, I have it because I have it in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this description of this man, Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without descent, without a pedigree, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. He was never born and he never died. You know, it's amazing. I started trying to read up on what people said about Melchizedek and most people said, well, he, he was probably Seth. Um, no, Shem, I mean, Shem. And uh, Shem was alive at that time. And I thought, where do you get that from the scriptures? Uh, it says he didn't have a mom or dad. He was never born. He never died. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest. Continually. He still is priest. Now, the one argument people have used that perhaps this is a man who is a great type of the Lord Jesus Christ is this verse of, is this verse of Scripture where it says he's made like unto the Son of God. Well, if he's made like unto the Son of God, then he's not the Son of God. That's the argument people use against him being actual, this being an actual pre-incarnate uh, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said when he saw that fourth likened to the Son of God in the fiery furnace? Does that mean he, he saw somebody that was like this? No, this is the Son of God he saw. You remember when John saw that appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ where at the end of it he fell at his feet as dead? He said, I saw one like unto the Son of Man. Does that mean he didn't really see the Son of Man? Of course not. That's a way of speaking. And this is a way of speaking. He's like unto the Son of God. You know, there's only one who's like unto the Son of God, the Son of God. Isn't that so? You know, I, we, I want to be careful the way I say this. Um, I want to be, I want to be like the Lord. But whenever we call someone Christ-like, really? Really? There's nobody like him. Now, I'll be conformed to his image one day, perfectly conformed to his image. Uh, but nobody's like him. He is other. He's utterly unique, and I wouldn't look at any man, I don't care who it is, the best man I know, and say, he's really Christ-like. No, he's not. There's one Lord 
Jesus Christ. The only one like Christ is Christ. And here's another thing that I think is interesting. We say this, I want people to see Christ in me. And I want to be someone who, if you see me, you see someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and you know it. I want that to leak out on me. I want it to, I want my conduct, my, my attitude, the way I treat you, I want it to be like that. But uh, when we say something like that, I want people to see Christ in me. They didn't see Christ in Christ. They, and if they do see Christ in you, you know what they'll do? They'll hate you. They'll hate you. Might put you to death. Um, but this, now, uh, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. He's still abiding as a priest continually. Now let's go and read it. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man, and I love the way the was is in italics. He's, he is. He is, was, and always be, be this great one. You consider how great this man was, is, and always will be unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils. Abraham paid tithes to him. Now look down in verse 9. I'm going to be preaching on this in the next week or two. Uh, but look in verse 9. He says, I may so say Levi also, who received tithes. Now Levi is the Old Testament priest. Uh, the priest came out of uh, Levi, and they gave him tithes. And all the Old Testament priests tithes. They didn't have their own property. They were supported by the people, and they paid them tithes. Now look what he says. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Levi, the man who received tithes, paid tithes. This is how great the Lord Jesus Christ is, and this is how superior his priesthood is to the priesthood of the Levites. Verse 5, for verily they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren though they came out of the loins of Abraham. Even though they're receiving tithes, they paid tithes to Melchizedek because they were in the loins of Abraham when he did it. But he whose descent is not counted from them. He didn't have a Levitical uh, priesthood or pedigree. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises and without all contradiction. The less is blessed of the better. Now here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. You know Melchizedek's alive right now. He's eternal. He's the son of God. And what a, what a difference, the fact that he, has, he, he lives. Look in uh, verse um, 16. Verse 15, I mean. And it's yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment. He's a priest just because 
uh, he was a Levite. Now you think of how many bad priests there were. I mean, think of Nadab and Abihu. Think of the sons of uh, uh, Eli. I mean, there were just some really evil men that took the office of priesthood because they were born to it. That's not going to happen here. This is the eternal son of God. He was made not after a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment. That's talking about the Levitical priesthood. That's talking about the whole Levitical system. That's talking about the whole Old Testament economy. There is a disannulling of the commandment because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. And that's strong language, isn't it? But uh, here's why that language is used. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They die. But this man, and I love the way man is in italics. But this, what do you call him? Words can't even express who this is. But this, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, here's the point. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That's a big word, isn't it? To the uttermost. That come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Do you know right now there's somebody in heaven, a man, the God-man. And he is making intercession for every one of his people. And every prayer you pray, you're probably ashamed of it. He takes it. And makes it a sweet smell to God because of who he is. The great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now you look at even Aaron, the first priest. He was a weak man, wasn't he? He did a lot of bad things. He got in a lot of trouble. He believed wrong and just on and on. And he died. He was a Levite. This is the priest that never dies. This is the eternal priest seated at the right hand of the Father. He, look at verse 8, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness, he liveth. He liveth. You look into his tomb, you know what's there? Nothing. You know why? He liveth. As our priest, he brings his own blood before the Father, not the blood of an animal. He brings his own blood before the Father, and the Father accepts him 
and everybody in him. Now, the Levitical priesthood, God gave it to teach us things about the gospel, and we're thankful for it. But this priesthood is utterly superior. A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the priest after the order of Melchizedek. The perfect priesthood of him who is perfect, who makes us perfect by his priesthood. Lord, how we thank you for him. Bless this message to our understanding for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.